houses in preparation for the king and they line the sidewalks with every sort of shiny things but they would be surprised when they hear him say take me to the alley Take me to the afflicted ones Take me to the lonely ones That somehow lost their way Let them hear me say I am your friend Come to my table Rest here in my garden You will have a pardon Brother, you will have a pardon Take me to the alley Take me to the afflicted ones Take me to the lonely ones That somehow lost their way Let them hear me say Come to my table Rest here in my garden You will have a pardon Sister, you will have a pardon to the afflicted one take me to the lonely ones that somehow lost their way let them hear me say
Well, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Why? Because this is the day that the Lord has made. We are rejoicing and exceedingly glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. God is great. He is so greatly to be praised. Welcome this morning to this worship service. We welcome you to K Chapel online, and we want you to share this with your neighbors, with your friends. Let them know that you're watching, but that you're inviting them to worship the God of our salvation, worship with you in spirit and in truth. Let us pray, beloved. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you for this day, for this new morning that you have given to us. You're so good, you're so great, and you're so mighty. Thank you for bringing us through another week. And God, we bless and praise your holy name for giving us this opportunity to do just that, to open our mouths and tell you thank you, to lift our hands and tell you thank you, to lift our voices and tell you thank you for the good God that you are. Lord, now we pray your blessings upon this worship experience. We pray that all that we do here, O oh God, will glorify your name. And as we glorify you, O oh Lord, we pray that your spirit would edify us. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, and our Christ, amen and amen. The virtual male choir is coming now with these musicians, and we're going to worship the Lord now in spirit and in truth. You know I'm stronger than I've 
from seen as well as unseen danger. For that, we say thank you. Heavenly Father, it's just good to be able to talk with you one more time. Thank you, gracious Father, for making yourself available anytime and anywhere. Thank you for your word, gracious Father. And thank you for not putting an expiration date on it. Your word was good yesterday, is good today, and forevermore. For that, we say thank you. Thanks for your mercy and your grace, Heavenly Father. When there were times we just couldn't find our way, but you were there. When trouble was all around us, you were there. Thanks for never leaving or forsaking us. Gracious Father, I pray for healing for those in the hospitals and nursing homes. Comfort for their loved ones that are praying and standing by them. Gracious Father, touch their situation so they will know you are still in charge. Gracious Father, ground us more in your word. Let your word be our answer, and we will be careful to give you the praise and glory. Heavenly Father, thank you for K. Chapel. I pray that you touch each one of us, that we might be the followers and doers of your holy word. I pray for the pastor as he bring the word and all that's receiving it. For it's in your precious son, Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Listen, it's giving time. We ask that you prepare now your gifts and your offerings as we give unto the God of our salvation. God has been so extraordinarily kind to us, so good to us, and this is an opportunity for us to show our gratitude, show our thankfulness by giving unto the Lord a tenth. That's what the tithe is, a tenth of what God has given. We invite you to give by any number of ways. You can text to the number that's on your screen. You can always give by way of the church app or drop your offering off at the office. Whatever you do, however you do it, do two things. Give so liberally and give so cheerfully, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Lord, I'm down this mean old world. I need you. Come on and sing. I'm down here, Lord, and I'm all by myself. Come on and sing. You're my friend to the end, and you never let me down. Come on and sing, cause I'm done. For you to come, for you to see about me.
unto us through the study and the reading and the truth of your word. God, we pray that you give us revelation, insight, and understanding 
that we might know you the better. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts that we might learn of thee and be transformed to reflect more of your glory. Granted, O oh God, in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, and our Christ, amen and amen. From Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 25, beginning with verse number 34, there you will find these words recorded. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was not hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. I want to talk from the subject this morning, reimagining God. Reimagining God. There have been any number of persons in film who have been cast to play the role of God. I grew up in the 70s and so my, my first experience of seeing an actor play God was in the person of George Burns who in a trilogy of movies called Oh God depicted God as this old, gravelly-voiced, unassuming, comical white male. And this, 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 this frail uh, white male with this gravelly voice and these uh, spectacles shows up one day in the life of Jerry Landers, a grocery store assistant, to convince Landers that he wants him to engage in an increasingly unbelieving world as to God's existence. Burns shows up in the movie as a taxicab driver. He shows up as a hotel food server and un other unexpected roles to talk with Landers and to finally convince him that he really is God. Later in the movie, Landers is sued by a televangelist for slander after Burns as God tells Landers to call him out as being a false prophet. And when the case finally makes it to court, Burns as God shows up and takes the witness stand to testify of himself. Near the end of his testimony, there's this great line in the scene where Burns says, if you find it hard to believe in me, maybe it will help you to know that I believe in you. 
There's another more recent portrayal of God, this time by another gravelly voice, older man, but this time he's black. Morgan Freeman plays God in Bruce Almighty and Evan Almighty. Freeman as God is on a mission in both of these films to show himself as personal and personable. A God who is not detached from our challenges, a God who understands our wants, and a God who works his will without violating our own free will. But perhaps the most reimaginative portrayal of God came in 2017 when Olivia Spencer, a black woman, plays God. In this role, Spencer, as God, is named Papa and is on a mission for the personal healing of a man whose faith and belief in God are crushed after the death of his daughter. In this movie, The Shack, at one point, Papa tells this depressed dad, when you focus on pain, you lose sight of me. All of these are but portrayals. They are the imaginative works of humanity to attempt to express divinity. And unfortunately, more times than not, our concepts of God have been relegated to maleness and to whiteness. There are many more portrayals and paintings and even Sunday school commentaries that suggest the maleness and the whiteness of God. And while you may think that, that, that how we see God is no big issue, it actually, it actually is. Stanford psychologist Stephen O. Roberts found that the characteristics American Christians assign to God are the same identities that they attribute to a boss and a manager or a supervisor. And so in his study, this was a study just last year actually, 1,012 American Christians were shown 12 pairs of faces that differed in age and in race and in gender. They were then asked, which face in the pair looked more godlike? And overall, the participants reported that God was more male than he was female. God was more white than black. And then next, they were asked to imagine that they worked for a company that was hiring a new supervisor. They were shown faces of 32 job applicants and asked to rate how well each applicant would fit the supervisory position. Roberts found that when Christians conceptualize God as white and male, they rated white male job applicants more favorably than white female candidates, more favorably than black male candidates, more favorably than black female candidates. In other words, beliefs about who rules in heaven predicts beliefs about who rule on earth. Which is why it's important that we get a biblical concept of God. If a better image of God is embraced, if a better image of God is understood, our world would reflect more of God's love, more of God's righteousness, and more of God's spirit. And the Bible reminds us, in fact, that God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, which means God has no race. 
God has no gender. God is spirit. And if portrayals or conversations or suggestions of God as something other than who you are upsets you, then you need to reimagine God. Because first of all, God is bigger than us. God is bigger than you. God is bigger than any of us. God is bigger than any one group of people. God is not confined to or defined by our sociological constructs. God is not stuck in the stuff of this world. God has no age. For Psalm 90 and 2 says that he is from everlasting to everlasting. God has no limits. For Revelation 1 and 8 says that he is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. God has no race. For according to 1 John 1 and 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God has no gender. For the Bible declares in first, in, I'm sorry, in Genesis 1 and 27 that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female created he them. And although scripture ascribes masculine pronouns to God and although Jesus defines God as father, this is language that is used to give a, give a frame of reference of how God is, what God does, and how God relates to humanity. God is father does not mean God is a man. Father language is used in Old and New Testament in the context of creation and in the context of covenant and in the role of redemption. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray our father not because God is a male but because God is the father of all creation. God is the one who calls creation into covenant with him. God saves and redeems creation unto himself through the mediation of the son. So praying our father is not done because God is a man, but rather because God reveals his divine nature as such and relates to Jesus and to us as a father. He functions as a father. He adopts us. As children, as a father, he calls us by name as a father. And Jesus invites us to know God and to pray to God as father. And unlike some of my feminist theologian sisters and my gender inclusive preacher friends, I do not need to change the language of the Bible in order to understand that God is not a man. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. God is not male or female, but I do accept the high and holy privilege given to us by Jesus Christ to call God our Father. That being said, I'm convinced that some of us need to explore the vastness of God because we have too limited him to what we know and experience, leaving a small version and view of God in mind. Our experiences have shaped our minds about God and formed our opinions about the Lord, some good and some bad, and we have grown into our adult lives with opinions about God that need reimagining. I know this to be true 
Because a lot of us think right now that God is just out to get us. We've been taught about a God who is up in heaven keeping record on us. And in our minds, we see God as some strict accountant adding up our transgressions and weighing them against our good to see which way the balance tilts. And our concept of God is not loving, but legal. Our concept of God is not merciful, but mathematical. Our concept of God is not compassionate, but computational. And we need to reimagine God. Some of you see God as did the Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards who in his famous sermon Sinner in the Hands of an Angry God writes quote the God that holds you up over the pit of hell much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. Yeah he continues his wrath towards you burns like fire he looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to cast you into the fire he is of purer eyes than to bear you in his sight you are 10,000 times as abominable in his eyes as the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours end of quote yeah he saw God as an angry God looking upon all sinners with despise despite and hatred and with that concept of God you don't just fear God but you're actually scared of God you need to reimagine God some of you some of you some of you though are just the opposite and your view of God is so liberally loving that you don't appreciate the fact that God hates sin you see God's grace so clearly that you don't appreciate the grief that sin brings to his heart. You focus so on the fresh fragrance of God's forgiveness that you forget the horrendous stench that sin is in his nostrils and in your praise of God's mercy, you've forgotten that God is holy and God has standards and God is righteous and he calls for us to be the same. You have cheapened God's grace. You test his mercies with continual mischief and you need to reimagine God. And still others of, you, of still others of us see God as some distant deity who is detached from his creation in any meaningful way. And your concept of God allows for a God who has limited power and little active presence in the affairs of the world and in the lives of people. So, so, so much like Rabbi Harold Kushner, the author of the book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, you embrace a theistic finiteism, meaning God is all good, but not all powerful, thereby giving God a pass for the presence of evil. And you need to reimagine God. Because here's what the Bible teaches us. That first of all, God is all-powerful. And the presence of evil is not an indicator of God's ability, but of man's agency. Evil exists not because God can't control it, but because God created mankind with the ability to choose. God does not need for us to give him an excuse for why evil exists. Evil exists because of man, not because of God. So there are a few things that we need to get right in our understanding of God this morning. This may not be for everybody, but somebody needs to get 
these things right this morning and reimagine, first of all, that God is for you. God is for you. Psalm 116 and 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Too many of us go through life thinking that God is out to get us. Because of the sin you committed, because of the mistake you made, because of the wrong you did, because of the transgression you acted out, and all you can see is an angry, vengeful, record-keeping God who at some point is going to drop the hammer on your life. All you can imagine is a wrathful, revenge-seeking, resentful God who is plotting against you and waiting for just the right opportunity to pay you back for the wrong you did. And everything bad that happens in your life, you associate it with some wrongdoing you committed. Every sickness you link to some sin. Every hardship you connect to some act of disobedience. Every problem you associate it with some misconduct because you see God as being against you and only interested in keeping a good accounting of the good and the bad that happens in people's lives. But I need you right now this morning to reimagine a God who is not against you but who is for you. Jeremiah 29 and 11, for I know the plans. I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God is for you. He wants the best for you in, in your life. God is for you. He wants for you to fulfill every purpose and potential and promise that he ever made you. God is for you. His word declares, if God be for us, who can be against us? God is for you he fights for you if it had not been for the lord on our side god is for you there's something else we need to get absolutely right about god and that's this that god is not only for you but god is with you isaiah 41 and 10 says so do not fear for i am with you do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Listen to me, beloved. There is no situation in life that you face alone. God is with you. There is no issue that you tackle by yourself. God is with you. There is no giant that you fight on your own. God is with you. There is no valley through which you must walk without the abiding presence of the Lord God Almighty. God is with you. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Which means that regardless of how lonely we feel, the fact is that God is with us. No matter how isolated we are, we are never out of the presence of the Lord. For the psalmist declares, whether shall I go from thy spirit or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, behold, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. All that means is that God is with you. Paul says it like this, who 
shall separate us from the love of God, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, neither height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does that mean? That God is with you. Matthew 28 and 10 says, I'm surely with you always, even to the very end of the age. God is with you. But this text this morning gives us perhaps the most significant thing that we need to reimagine about God. Not only is God for you, not only is God with you, but God is among you. That's what this text is about. That God is among us. Jesus presses this point by making the case for how we treat the least of those among us. The hungry. The homeless. The imprisoned. The sick the under-resourced, the needy. Jesus says, what we do to these people, how we treat these people, how we interact with and engage with and advocate for these people is in fact how we treat him. Listen to his words again. For I was a hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger. You took me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. They say, when did we do all of these things, any of these things? We, we didn't see you and do this to you. And Jesus says, when you've done it to the least of these. Jesus, who is God, God incarnate, says, when you've done it to them, you've done it unto me. He is among us. He's not just for us. He's not just with us. But he is among us. What that means is that oftentimes we are looking up to God. When God is right among us. How do you say he's among us? Reverend, that's blasphemous. No, humanity is stamped with the image of God. And Jesus has us to know this morning that we cannot say that we love God and treat our fellow man with disregard or disrespect. 1 John 4 and 20 says, If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. This means that we really have to take a hard look at how we treat each other. And I'm convinced that we will treat one another differently when we see the divinity stamped upon humanity 
when we see first the godliness and the godlikeness of people rather than the condition that they are in or the status that they hold or the issue that they have when we see the God in them and on them we will treat them better pop singer many years ago raised the question by saying what if God was one of us just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home we must become more God conscious, seeing our brothers and our sisters as the divinely created beings they are, whoever they are, whoever they are, whoever they are. For in and through each of us, God is among us. We say it all the time in the church that we are the hands and the feet of Christ, which is to say that if people are to feel the love of God, they will do so because we touch them. And if people are to see the evidence of God, it will be because we showed up when they needed us and when they needed help. And if people are to be brought into the reality of the existence of God, it will be because of our witness of love and grace and mercy and benevolence. Yes, we are the hands and feet of Christ. Ministering to those who have the stamp of God on their lives. Certainly, no, we could never be God. People are never God themselves. That's certainly not what I'm arguing or suggesting, but I am saying that our actions and our responses and our interactions with people ought to bring them closer to the Lord than they've ever been brought simply for having met us. Simply by us engaging and interacting. They should see, watch this, God in us and we should see God in them. So as you reimagine God, perhaps, perhaps you should start by reimagining your neighbor. As you reimagine God, maybe you should begin by reimagining the waiter or the waitress who's serving you. Or the grocery store clerk who's scanning your groceries. As you reimagine God, maybe you need to reimagine the hotel worker who's making your bed or the homeless man on county line in 55. As you reimagine God, perhaps you need to reimagine your neighbor. For as we do these things unto the least of those around us, we do it to the God who is among us. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. Give you his peace.
perhaps reimagining God begins with the point of coming to the place where you accept that he loves you. God loves you. In fact, he loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. In that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die for us. God loves you. And if you're ready to know that God, to accept that God, to believe in that God, I invite you to do that by accepting his son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and your Savior right now today. Why don't you pray this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, right now, I want to know God as my father. And I do that by accepting you as my savior. Come into my life. Make me a new creature. I believe that you are the son of God. That you died on a cross for my sins. And that you rose again from the dead. And by faith, I accept you today as Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to call the number that's on your screen right now. Don't delay. Do it right now. There's somebody who's waiting, wanting to speak with you, ready to pray with you, and wanting to give you next steps to live out your new life in Christ with God as your father. Call the number. Do it now. must have felt dying on Calvary's cross can you imagine the agony not just the agony of the physical nails but the agony that he cries out when he says my God my God why hast thou forsaken me it is in that moment that Jesus feels not so much separation and forsaken by the Father in the sense of him leaving him, but forsaken from the sense of this weight of sin I take on my shoulders and in so doing I feel the enormous weight the sins of the world and I'm dying because it's your will that's what Jesus did for us and he asks 
that we do a few things for him. One of them is to eat of this bread and to drink of this cup in his remembrance. We don't have to imagine those things because he took it on for us. What we do have to do is remember what he did. So I ask now that you prepare yourself in your heart to celebrate this Lord's Supper by taking down the bread. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks, break it and blessed it and said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Likewise, after the same manner, he took the cup and blessed it, saying, This is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sin. As often as we do this, we do show forth his death and suffering until he comes again. Let us drink together. When they had finished, they sung a hymn and went out into the Mount of Olives. Now may the grace of God and the sweet communion of his Holy Spirit rest, rule, and abide with each of you, now, henceforth, and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen and amen. God bless you. Go in peace.